right, everyone, I have the great pleasure of talking to some members of Aviations today. Uh, why don't you guys go around and introduce yourselves and what you do in the band? Hello, I'm James. Uh, I play drums uh, in Aviations, and uh, I'm, I guess I'm on the left side of the screen, so I'll know that for orientation <laughs> in case we have to do it around the screen. I can today. move it around, but you're, you're, in the top, <laughs> you're in the top left. Richard, right. Richard's on the bottom left, and Sam's on the All bottom right. right. Checks out. <laughs> <laughs> or Richard go you go go Richard okay hello my name is Richard um I am the pianist for aviations and my name is Sam I play guitar and produce for aviations now I was actually I had a question about Richard then do you just play mm -hmm. piano in aviations or do you um, do like keys in general I'm I'm really not like a keyboard player um you know I I haven't done a lot of synth work, you know, I can like play Rhodes and all that, but I am, I'm a pianist by trade. And if I could bring an actual piano on tour, I would, but we're not at that level. So I play piano on a keyboard. Yeah. You guys would just drag one behind like a band van. Uh no, no. We did that for <laughs> yeah. the music videos and it has. It Pianos are so heavy. Much. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, my wife's a class. Thank God for Eric. Yeah, my wife's a classical pianist, and I remember we've had to move her baby grand around a few times, and it's like, <sighs> yeah, you got to hire separate movers for that for, part. It's yeah, just, yeah, yeah, it's, it's no such good. a pain. Well, that's really interesting because, you know, I think in this style of music, everyone expects to keyboardists to be doing like there's some piano, you know, but then like doing synth leads and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. I, th I think one thing I really enjoyed about about the latest album is how much piano there was on it. Like it's a very different kind of sound, you know. I enjoyed that too. <laughs> now, did you record an actual acoustic piano? Yes. There. Yeah. So we were up at um, Ghost Hit Studios. They had a Yamaha uh, S6 up there. Yep. Um, which is neat because, like, for a lot of like sort of typical studio standard pianos, you get like a Yamaha C7, which is their standard, you know, seven foot grand. Yeah. Um, but the S series has duplex scaling and a couple other like sort of more um strategies that they've implemented to sort of get like a thicker more orchestral sound out of it as much as they can you know i mean it still sounds like a piano and it, it felt great and all that but um just nice to get a slightly different timbre yeah very cool but yeah really big room fun. too it was that uh, the mm -hmm. studio was built in a uh let's say abandoned or repurposed church so just oh. really really high ceilings so uh, a handful of like the room mics we had thrown around the room were actually pretty useful for some of the softer more exposed moments which is kind of fun yeah. byproduct of a cool studio yeah that is very cool i mean piano is you, if you're going to do acoustic piano you got to mic it properly that's like a big part of being in, of doing it it's a whole thing yeah yeah, yeah. and we're still learning <laughs> <laughs> no but that's cool that you did that though because because i feel like so many bands and especially doing metal like more heavier stuff they're just using virtual piano so yep hey richard <laughs> how do you feel about virtual pianos <laughs> I think if it's buried deep in a texture, you do what you got to do. But if you're writing like exposed piano parts, like, you know, to someone who's a pianist, and I'm sure your wife would agree, like fake piano sounds really obviously fake 98% of the time. Yeah. I've been fooled once or twice. You know, I think like first time listening to the Hollow Knight soundtrack, Christopher Larkin does a really good job with that. Um, and I heard like, actually like someone got like this really... They did like Alicia's Keys. They got that piano to sound amazing once. I don't even remember what album it was. <laughs> once, to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's, it's, so a lot of times people are like, oh, well, it sounds fine. Well, it's like, how much time have you spent sitting at the instrument? Like, it sounds fine to you. Like, I don't play guitar. If I exported a, a Guitar Pro solo that I wrote, and I was like, oh, it sounds fine. You guys would laugh at me. So, you know. <laughs> Then you'd be like plenty of other metal guitarists out there. <laughs> I mean, that is the album yeah you, did you just like export midi and then you know run it through near the dsp yeah no one can play any of that yeah, stuff it's uh <laughs> now, no, we spent a lot of time i'm curious if you have to use virtual piano for a tour what are you going to use mm, that's a good question um <laughs> so you know like i think there is a time and a place for keyscape everybody loves keyscape uh, sounds good really right out of the box. Um, my issue with it is that like, that's one piano sound and it's very specific. Like if you want that keyscape sound, it's awesome. 
if you want something a little clankier, a little, you know, more rotund of a sound, then, you know, I've used like Synthogy's Ivory VSTs before, but some of those things like Ivory, I think is probably too hefty to bring on the road. Just because I don't think I have a laptop that would run it that well. So I've actually, I've been messing around with Piano Tech, which is um, a, a modeler rather than a, a sampler. And right. that's come a long way. And yeah, you know, it's got like a little bit of thinness to the sound sometimes, but um, it's got a lot of flexibility. So I could create like a bunch of different patches for various sections um, and switch between them. So I might dig deeper into that, I think. Quick fun fact about the, you mentioned Synthogy, is it the, yeah. the brand? Yeah, uh -huh. we used a bit of the the lowest like strings because our guitars for this album and in some cases the bass would tune down to uh, an A or an A flat. Um, but the A track specifically we would be, we would make use of the lowest A on a piano okay. to actually double some guitar lines or yeah, bass yeah. lines because our bassist Werner who plays uh, uh, Dingwall basses exclusively at the moment, those actually have a very piano pianist pianish kind of sound to them and it blending with that that low string actually worked really well so i would augment some of the stuff that we would record with richard with some synthogy low 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 piano um for specific patches and it's a cool sound yeah piano is an underrated sound to double guitars i think like it has like really good transient information you know especially in the low end you can like double riffs and low chugs and stuff it sounds awesome it's it's rich yeah like richard yeah, yeah. it's you know <laughs> it's the that was the meme with the light years was it's the articulatory reinforcement yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. because it's pitch percussion like that is sort of the decisions that i make or we make as a band is like okay in this riff do we want piano to double do we want piano to add something textural do we want it to add harmony and you know i think we sort of fell in love with that um yeah. a number of years ago and then have just branched out from there I, be I believe if I heard it right, there sounded like there was some prepared piano stuff in some point. Did you do any of that? Or did someone just yeah. go in and like mute? Uh, yeah, I mean, we prepared uh, sort of jerry-rigging it in the studio when we were recording. So yeah, there's uh, two songs that have really damped muffled piano to get that sort of thumpy, funky stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, you know, we're like running around trying to figure out what we were going to use to weight down the strings because we had like, you know, some cloth and all that on top of the strings. And we ended up using a, uh, a laptop as, as a weight at one point, most expensive <laughs> paperweight and on demand. So, yeah. Cool. Good stuff. All right. Enough about the piano. So thank you. Yeah, I'm honored. <laughs> you can, you can leave now. No, um, okay. All right. So when did the band Let's focus on the cat? So who who are some of the original members of the band, and where and when did you guys start? James, want to go for that? Uh, yeah, uh, I I mean, I guess original members would be myself, uh, Sam, and uh, our vocalist Adam. Uh, we all met at uh, excluding Richard down down there. Uh, uh, the three of us met at Berkeley okay. College of Music in Boston um in like 2012 okay uh so yeah from there like i mean it was like kind of a lot of experimentation especially when you're at that school because like everyone's running around doing like eight million things that are all <laughs> sick um so it kind of just came from that um sam and i actually met before college at a um like a berkeley summer school thing called berkeley five week okay. uh which was funny because like at the time i thought like having that experience was super sick because it was kind of just like uh, a half a semester i guess of just like kind of vibing out all the music classes none of the at like, berkeley uh, by the way yeah. yeah at berkeley so um so that was kind of cool and then from that i think sam and i like remained in contact you know, in the, on our senior year of high school. And then when we got to Berkeley, it just so happened that we were on the same floor. So I'd kind of like see him in passing every day. And we just ended up kind of like trading like guitar profiles over that first like year of school. Um, and then we played our first, I think we played our first show the second year of college, right? Am I, am I crazy? I'm pretty sure our first show was this, this, the day we released the album. And it was yeah, just I know chaos. That, but that was our second year. Of, that was our second year of school, right? Because it was like yeah, 20, October 2012, um, yeah. and we started October 10th. There you go. 
Damn. A few days right. after. I'm pretty sure it was October 13th. 13th. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. Ah. Which was which was a few days after Parallax 2 feature sequence. Wow. Because my 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 distinct memory of being at college with James, we were living together at that point as of September that year, uh, was finishing up that album, getting ready for our first show. All just the chaos of all these things we should not have been doing in one week. <laughs> and James going in the other room to listen to this Between the Buried and Me album front to back while I'm like comping some vocals or something. Again, four days before the album is to be done. And he came out about an hour later, however long that record is, just a changed man. <laughs> <laughs> if there's a new bt bam record you have to listen to it right away there's no waiting for that exactly <laughs> whatever whatever notes i james had for the he's like i gotta go do this and well, uh I yeah think, i think that was just like a really like a really cool time just as like in my journey as a musician because like and for music in general there is literally nothing like going to berkeley like it, it's just like the fact that I was allowed to just be like all in for like five years and not have to worry about anything else and just be like, Oh, I can like, like I can justify like going to listen to a record for an hour. And like, this is like part of my education is like insane to me. And like the fact that we got to do that was like really cool. I mean, we got this band out of it and all that. So it was definitely it's even weirder that it feels normal after a year or two being able to just walk down the street and like pass by all these insane players and be like oh actually i need somebody for my project we're doing this sound alike where we're supposed to sound like a funk band or like you know god forbid a between the buried and me sound alike is a project where you copy a song i think adam and i ended up recording a this town needs guns sound alike because we were into the math rock thing and his voice sounded great and james also played on it so like just so strange and normalized that you can be doing music all the time and that leads into like how we met some of the other members like eric was a guitarist just who shared a guitar recording class he happened to bring in an example of something he just recorded i think that was literally the assignment was bringing something you recorded with your guitar and he like programmed some drums to it so me hearing that like fully this guy was like already having like arranging songs was like i needed to talk to this person and then all of a sudden like a few days later we had another member right there so like stuff like that would just happen every other week at berkeley yeah and berkeley is a school that's full of you know people doing more modern styles of music you know um i had like a traditional classical music experience more i mean there was people doing modern stuff but like I have a classical guitar degree and, um, you know, I, so I didn't really meet a lot of people doing metal, you know, when I went to school, <laughs> but it, you're right about the experience of doing music all the time when you're in school. It's so different from, at least for me as an adult now, like before I came to interview guys, I'm like, I should probably listen to the album a few times through, but my life is so busy. It's like, I had to listen to it in spots, you know, like two songs here and then two songs there. And, so it's just weird. I, I would love to be able to sit down and just listen to music, but it doesn't happen <laughs> as much anymore, unfortunately. Do you still play classically? Sometimes, yeah. I don't do it a ton. Um, okay. Sometimes I'll play at a fancy restaurant or for a wedding ceremony or something like that. But, mm. um, my I've co- always wanted to play. I've played one movement of the Manuel Ponce Sonata for Guitar and Harpsichord. Okay. So if you ever want to, I've got a harpsichord oh and I just need it. <laughs> Give me like a couple years to get my <laughs> classical chops back. <laughs> you and me Pretty both. nice uh, harpsichord we got. You, know, you have an yeah. actual harpsichord back there. That's amazing. If I need actual harpsichord recorded on something, I'll let you know. <laughs> you let me know. Um, great. That's cool. So this is your third full album, full length album then, right? Yeah. How do, how do you yeah. pronounce, yes. how do you pronounce I mean, the always... album? The name of the album. I feel like I'm gonna miss. I would say Luminaria, Luminaria. For, for anyone asking. And my nerdy reason is that like an an aria is a musical yeah. term, and you know, also sounds nicer. So yeah. And I and I I was about to say and I named it. No, our our bass player actually named it. I always think that's a fun bit of information because we're so as you can tell detail oriented with our approach to the music. There's a lot going on, and we probably you know, rocked some names around in our, our brains for, for years, honestly. And our bassist came in one meeting and said, you know, I've been thinking about this, uh, this name Luminaria sounds pretty cool. 
his his absolute first pitch <laughs> probably like some it. of the first words in that meeting and i was like that's actually pretty cool and the more we thought about it that day it was like yeah i think this will stick is the name that was like 36 hours before we announced the actual album uh, right yeah leave that <laughs> so like, okay with this single we gotta mention. announce the album yeah. <laughs> does the name have anything to do with anything any of the songs anything like that or is it just a i think for me it's as much a like evocative name as like aviations is so like if your perspective of like uh metal or like song naming in general is kind of cynical and it's like oh they just kind of threw it up and like what does that mean or whatever that's one way to look at it but for, for me like aviations being born I'll, I'll take the l we're born out of the pluralization boom of the early 2010s the the monuments the structures yeah, yeah. the um periphery got away without an s somehow um <laughs> but uh for us the aviations thing i feel like it feeds into that sort of like uplifting sound we got and i'll say luminaria is a similar vibe to that it's pretty much a combination of like lumen is kind of like the warmth side of it and aria is like the music so like warm music cozy metal if you want to like get super literal with it that's a, a term that a lot of our fans have been calling our music and makes a lot of sense because as we were like playing some of those first shows that james mentioned like our first one being right when our album first came out like we would get put on bills with bands that were either super super heavy or like not at all and we were kind of in the middle like we play really distorted guitars but we're not that intimidating we don't scream so it does feel like that cozy metal luminaria all that is kind of feeding into the the sound you get but there is some heaviness that you guys do i mean there's a few harsh vocals here and there um but i think cozy metal that's actually a pretty good descriptor um what do you think if you had to to explain why or what makes it cozy metal what would you say makes it cozy metal I would I would put Richard on the spot again and say that the piano actually adds a lot to that sound. One other like more technical as aspect of it I think is the some of the guitar tones we go for. We try to focus on making sure the like the notes and the chords are really audible if that makes yeah. sense. So like tempering how much distortion we're throwing on something. Um and I mentioned that just cuz we get a lot of comments on on uh YouTube for example that uh, of people saying hey that clean guitar sounds really cool like what did you do with that and i'm going back and listening to that timestamp they maybe called out and it's like that's a that's a fully distorted double track guitar performance that, like arresting my ears i'm not sure what you're talking about and it's just because it has that like stringy and like very melodic sound it's not being muddied up by the, the typical production you would get in like a very heavy metal situation. And I think the piano and like I mentioned before, Werner and his Dingwall basses, like all of that information is pushing that like mission mm -hmm. forward of just like the notes and the chords and all this, all this layering we're doing and the vocals, there's like layers upon layers, like all of that is adding to this, what, what I consider heavy, to be honest, not necessarily needing it to be screaming or like super distorted or low tuned to be heavy, but all of those layers adding like that, like emotional heaviness, I think is probably what makes it more cozy. <laughs> it's, it's dense. That's for sure. Like yes. when I listen to it, like <laughs> any, anything in this genre generally takes a couple of listens to kind of like get into, you know, f the songs and stuff. But as I'm listening, I'm like, oh, there's vocals here, but then there's also like Every instrument's doing a bunch of runs and stuff underneath. Um, but yeah, I think the the nature of the sounds you're using allow all the notes to kind of like pop out. So that's a that's a good descriptor. What what are you using for tones for guitars on this album? All neural DSP. Okay. That's great. Baby. Uh <laughs> yeah, no, we're we're big fans of of them. Uh I think on our last yeah, on our last EP release, which was a re-release of a couple of songs from that that first album that James and I worked on when we met at Berkeley, um, that was a split of Axe Effects and Neural DSP, and we'll leave those to who want to go listen to it to decide which is which is which. <laughs> but it was a cool like test for me to kind of see which ones would hold their own. Um, we've been using a lot of the because I'm, I'm sure curious the Nolly uh, archetype first off, and then the SLO. 100, I think is the full name, uh, the, the Soldano amp that dropped the same month that we tracked drums. 
and Eric and I were in the studio with James for this album in, I want to say, March of 21. And the SLO plugin had dropped just after that, and we messed with that, and that made its way on to the first single, uh, Safe House, for a lot of the, the tones. And uh, I think it's sporadically shared around the rest of the album, too. Probably a bit of Pliny, a little bit of Petrucci archetypes as well. Um, but yeah, just big fans of like all their stuff, to be honest, <laughs> like a big, just miss, miss match of mix mash. I can't talk in the morning of oh, yeah. the <laughs> stuff. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds good, you know, especially when it's mixed into an album. It's like, no one can tell the difference between <laughs> whether, it's, <laughs> yeah. whether it's real or not, quote unquote, real or not. Um, where were the drums recorded and when did that happen? Um, I guess they happened March 2021. That's a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so we tracked them at uh, this place called Machines with Magnets in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Uh, with this guy, Seth Manchester, he's an absolute babe. Um, uh, he's done like not really a lot of like metal record. I mean, like he's done metal. Like he did, he's done like Full of Hell and like The Body. Elizabeth Color Wheel and stuff like that. Did he do something like Warns? Oh yeah. Yeah, he did. He's done the Battles records too. If you're familiar with that. Band. Oh nice. Um, so like not anything like super metal. Um, I actually went there, um, like in the middle of like the first COVID summer to track some songs for another band, and I like. I, it was just one of those things where like so much stuff was going on. I like learned the songs and I was like, I'll just figure it out when I get to the studio, like what the setup is. And I like walked in and I was like, Oh, this is, this is like real sick. And I like, I like just set up and he's, he's got like a really uh, like kind of eclectic taste in microphones that I wasn't really seeing at other studios I was going to. Um, like he uses a like an old Alltech, I can't remember the model name, but it's essentially like the old Elvis vocal mic is the snare top mic, which is like pretty cool. It has this like giant uh, like input box and stuff. Uh, but but like a lot of that just kind of intrigued me. And then like once we got to like you know head stuff, I was like, oh yeah, these drums are done. Like they, this sounds done like right now. And then I think I I. I think within 30 minutes of me like getting sounds before I like did my first full take, I had already texted Sam and I was like, I know we're tracking drums for the record. Like, <laughs> cause it was just like really set up and Seth is just like such a dude. And uh, so when we did our drums there, I think we did it in two days or three days. I think I can't two. remember. But, yeah. uh, that's pretty, um, we slept but, over. Yeah. Cause there's an apartment connected to it. So it was just like, get drums done, sleep, and then do more drums the next day. But it was really chill. Um, you know, Seth is, like, really accommodating with, like, because, unfortunately, you know, we're, like, kind of annoying with, like, what we like and stuff, and we know a little too much to, like, just let him do his thing, where it's like, oh, that mic, you know? So it was really accommodating and let us, like, try some stuff out before we, you know, hit record on the whole record, and then... Um, the way that we kind of approach drums for this record, which honestly wasn't really that much different from the other ones. Cause I'm, I kind of like, don't, I don't like, I don't want to say I don't prepare, but I don't really like write like a ton of like, you know, I'm not like writing things out and playing things note for okay. note when I go into the studio for, for this band. Um, but I had like pretty recently just done another record with another band I play in called Gargoyle. And like, we, were like incredibly meticulous about like the drum parts and stuff like that. And I kind of realized like, Oh, like the music can benefit from that in a lot of ways. Um, so there was way more like, uh, kind of like pre-composed stuff for this record than there was on the previous ones, which you can, at least for me, when I listen back, I can definitely tell that I just kind of like was bullshitting on a lot of things, <laughs> but, but there's still like, uh, I still kind of like there was definitely still kind of an improv element to to some of it too just because um at least in my mind like I because I've 
when I compose a lot of the music in Guitar Pro, I've been sitting with it for so long. I know where like all the syncopations are and all the rhythms are that I want to hit anyways. So I can kind of just play with that when we're at the studio and then find what works. And, you know, I, you know, I love the ego high of like tracking something and then them being like, oh, that's sick. And then we can kind of like work on it from there. Um, and I generally like to kind of work on things really fast anyways, because if I do kind of think about it for a long period of time, I, I just, my brain explodes. So it's, <laughs> it was more like a mental defense, defense mechanism, I guess, for like not, you know, having everything charted out. Uh, but I also think it's like, it makes the session more exciting. And, and we do find things like there was, there's a lot of things on the record that we kind of discovered during the recording process that that made it to the record that that for me I feel like just kind of happened in the spur of the moment just because we're like in a cool space like doing the thing yeah. um but I thought it was really cool and I think the drums uh sound sick so yeah you know. the, the production in general sounds great uh, that's really interesting that you're improvising at least to some extent I I I don't know. In my brain, I always think of this kind of music as basically being like classical music where everything's like completely composed out, you know, um, and especially since you only had two days in the studio, if you're improvising some, that's pretty good. How, how many takes, I, I, how many takes do you do on each song? Oh, I don't know. I think we, just, we did it until we okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, you know, yeah. it wasn't like a, I, I don't think there was like, I'm, I'm not like one of those dudes that's like, I'm going to do the whole oh, record okay. in one take, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't see the album. You do the whole album. <laughs> no, no breaks straight through. I mean, I do, I do kind of like, I, 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 I do know, I don't know how many takes, but I do know there was one or two songs that we just completely recut the second day. Okay. Cause I was like, eh, it's not good enough. You know, like, I but, do remember but, that. Yeah. But it's just like, uh, I kind of like that because like, especially with this music and like, I do, I do really like, I know everyone else hates it, but it's the only way I can do things at this point is like, I want to just like, once I start, I don't want to stop. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to eat. I want to just drink coffee and just go because like, especially for me, like once I start, like my bones get all warm. (laughs) (laughs) Catheter down there. Catheter on, yeah, you know, like, but it's like once I start, you know, everything gets all warm and then like it, the to warm back up again after already being sweaty and gross is like it i I hate it so much that i'd rather just like like i've done sessions before where like the engineer has gone to take a break and i'll like go to go into the control room and start like a 32 (laughs) bar count in and then just like keep going because it's that i'm not you know i i want to be respectful of people's time but just like for me it's just like i want to just I want to be in it from like the second I wake up until the second I go to bed. And then, cause otherwise my body just like kind of withers away if I like stopping and starting and shit like that. So just, just as someone on the other side of the glass to hype James up again, like he gets that ego high from us saying how sick that section was. And then we get that motivation of him just wanting to keep going. So like, uh, what was fun for me is that our, our song coma, the longest one on the album, just over 10 minutes, that, uh, the the working title of that was song one so we just happened to start with that at the session because james wanted to and i have we have a bunch of video clips of it so i'm sure we could pull it up somewhere but you know james is done with that you know, massive takes and we just hear him like all right james what do you want to do all right let's uh let's, let's do the next one let's keep going and it's like it's like do, do you, you want a minute like dude like you're and like he's just like that's how he works and and we get so excited by all that like and i'll say like in general to the, the takes thing it's probably like for this music because he wants to keep going like probably three or four like full takes like tops of like yeah, the yeah. songs and then if we want to go back and like punch in sections so he's gonna get really tight and just one more thing for seth too on those if it is a section that james is like all right i want to like try this fill section again one more time or whatnot seth being an outsider you might think this music is like you know you said yourself it takes a few listens to understand it outright hearing it for the first time in not even a completed form probably no vocals just instrumental all this stuff going on uh seth was surprisingly helpful in being able to just be like hey uh that wasn't good (laughs) uh try try that try that again (laughs) 
and we're like and eric and i'll be sitting there like uh yeah we think that one was good and he's like yeah that was good <laughs> so just having like an outside force even in as small a capacity as that like just for the drum tracking was was a lot of fun well, that sounds like it'd be fun to watch someone just go for it like yeah. i get it though you get in the zone sometimes and then you know you'll look up and it'll be three hours later you know <laughs> but i always feel bad for drummers in this kind of music because i'm assuming the guitars you guys self-produced on your own you take your time with them so he's got to like play all these songs, you know, in one or two days, and then you can go back and like. Uh, uh, that's how I want it to be, because like I said earlier, like I, I don't want to think about yeah, it yeah. for that. If I think about things that long, it 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 starts turning the wheels like too much. I just like, just give me a date, and then I'll practice, and then I'll do it, and then it it is what it. You know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. Like, just I don't I don't want that. That and then it's totally fine because we'll we'll worry about it for yeah. nine more months. Go quantize <laughs> yeah, it <anyway>. exactly. <laughs> All that. Yeah, I just it, it feels like there's an expectation that everything has to sound as perfect as possible in in this in this genre. So, and maybe that's a good and bad thing. I think in some in some ways, but you know, so when like you're recording, like I'm recording guitar, it's like okay, that's not good enough. You know what I mean? It's like got to do it again mm -hmm. and again and again or whatever. It's an iterative process if anyone takes so anything away yeah. from from this conversation like we are actually or at least i am i'm curious from trying to track some songs with our other guitarist eric and get the guitars to a finished enough spot where we can be like that is album ready all right james what would you do to this but even to that i would say james improvisation and like what he brings to some of that will like retrack sections or like rework something to like a maybe a rhythm figure or some sort of thing that he did so they're really for me it's like i want every stage of the recording like when richard's doing his piano warner's doing his bass adam's doing his vocals vocals especially we want every state of the or stage of the process the songs to sound really full and exciting and all that good stuff but if someone's laying something down and they have a, a good idea, like I think it's those two things. It's keeping things sounding exciting and like just moving quickly so we can make those decisions and be like, hey, that drum part actually made that thing work really, really well. So when did the vocal parts come into the songs? Like, do you have vocal ideas before you're tracking drums or is that something that comes on later? <laughs> it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I think for this band in particular, uh, Adam is really, really good at writing top lines for music that like gets him excited. And I preface it in that way because our music is super complex. Yeah. And on a first listen, you might not know quite where to place maybe like a chorus or a verse or even how to label those sections at all. Um, so the things that will come first, speaking for Adam now, would be uh, some of the more straight ahead songs and sections that he gets the most like vibe out of and he'll have like a top line like I know one for example in blink um, I want to say probably that dancey section towards the beginning or just the earlier part of the song was demoed really really early probably before the drums were actually tracked along with some of the other poppier songs like safe house uh, the top hook for example and then as the songs grow and get more developed, piano parts get added, uh, guitar scratch tracks are more fully formed. Maybe the neural DSP settings are dialed in to sound a little better. Um, that will start to influence him and get him inspired to add more to those. And then whatever he's not super confident on, like maybe some of the longer winded songs like Sections of Blink and Coma, to, to name a few, um, that's where I sort of come in and, and Adam and I put our brains together in, uh, well, it would be fun to go to a studio, but we have, uh, his, his studio, which is his bedroom and what we call the mattress fortress, which is a closet that is <laughs> as soundproof as can be in his big house. Um, and I'm on the other side of that door just with, you know, these headphones and a little Apollo interface and a, and a talkback mic, just throwing ideas back and forth. And I think on this album more than any other, uh, I actually contributed a ton of, top line and backing vocal writing and also some recording i'm i'm very into the vocal layering sound as kind of like our well, how many how many people we got seventh member i guess of the band um seventh instrument if you will and yeah actually adding some of my voice in layers beneath his so we get kind of a different timbre from from both so um yeah kind of starts with adam getting stoked about some ideas and then as the songs need more and maybe get a bit more confusing i step in and i start helping him you know get out of his comfort zone too with like some of the screams 
that being a big one i know he wanted to like get on this album once he heard that song legend in its in its demo form was like hey i'm gonna I'm gonna have to scream on this, aren't I, guys? Like, <laughs> we'll figure it out later. Let's let's track the song, and then we 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 did. And I'm pretty stoked. That one was one of the most difficult songs to to fully see through to fruition. I think he likes saying that we did like probably like seven or eight different choruses for that song, and that being one of the heavier metal songs actually has three repeated choruses for us prog nerds trying to get repeated sections in there that make sense. So, how how Jay you repeat the chorus more than twice? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think people would be surprised how how much Prague actually uses like traditional song structures. Um, I think there's this idea that Prague is always just like through a compose straight straight through, but that's definitely definitely not the case. Or that we're above it for some yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or that yeah, like the song has to be extra complex and long. But there's, I think, having catchiness in your songs is is a lot more important than a lot of people <laughs> like to think. Um, it's the human element for me. Yeah, yeah. like you want to talk to people and not like overwhelm them with all the information like we are right now yeah. <laughs> with this interview um it's it's good to like have some something to grab onto Heck. and especially because we're like actively trying to be a live band i think is the other thing we want to make sure there's some memorable stuff for people coming and, to see us for the first and time not everyone listening to your music is going to be a musician you know it's like they're not gonna be a guitar right. player they might just be a casual music fan and there has to be something that they can latch onto. i mean even for me i've only listened to the album a couple times and like if you ask me with things that i can actually like you know repeat back to you right now it would be list your three favorite you know, parts yeah, go but if i was to like say like what part do you remember it would be a vocal vocal melody probably more than anything because those are the things that automatically stick with you you know of course my three favorite parts are actually i haven't listened to the album i'm just <laughs> <laughs> nice the beginning, the beginning that middle part and then when it's over i liked the part with the notes and with the beat you're not wrong i don't know about that last part but so I'm I'm curious as someone who deals with this kind of stuff all the time. Do you guys think about odd time signatures as you're doing it, or does it just come naturally? Oh, James, you, you and Richard had a interesting thought yeah, about this. Yeah, we were this talking about this recently. Rehash. Yeah. What, what is this rehash it? Go, James. Go. I don't remember. <laughs> it, the only thing I remember you talking about, like uh, everything is four or four. If you're not a nerd. Ah, uh, yes. Adam that, Neely. Is that the conversation <laughs> I had? That's basically yeah, that's part of, I think just like the idea of like, you know, if you, when James writes something or just he feels something a certain way, and if that grooves and feels good and it happens to be an odd time signature, then that's just, you know, Bob Ross be proud of the happy little accent. Like, that's just what it is. And then sometimes it's like, okay, we've got this sort of off kilter thing, but like, if it's not something that we can settle into, then maybe it's worth it to square it off a little bit. And be like, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with 404. It's like, there's plenty of stuff that you can do within that framework. You know, I always use the example of like Kodinja as like a very modern band. It's like, they write a lot of 404, but that's like the most syncopated stuff I've heard in like a hot minute for sure, you know? So, and, but on, the, on the, the, the counter side, the example that I brought up last time we were talking about this was in the middle of uh, the song Pine Knot, we have all these fives and it's like, they feel great, you know, like it just, it, it, it settles really well. So we didn't need to square that off. Yeah. Versus yeah, sometimes we'll some spots in like in blink, like a lot of blinks in four, four, but it's just so much syncopation going on within that, that it's like worth it to have it square up for the, to have a, a sense of security, I guess. Yeah. And I think a lot of this music coming a from a drummer's. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I think a lot of this music coming from a drummer's perspective too, like first and foremost gives like that, like inherent groove to it and i don't think somebody without james sort of like fast-paced demeanor of like i just got to get this out like would be able to do what he does in a program like guitar pro because probably the only downside of that is he has to actually like type in what the time signature has to be there instead of being able to just feel where the song needs to to go um but that's sort of like the two parts of his brain, at least. So when I'm getting them, I'm almost listening to these guitar pro sessions as like demos in their own right and not focusing super intently on like what the actual section time signature might be. Like end of the day, that's all like information. Music theory is all like information or names to like identify how and how a sound is like working with another sound. And it's kind of up to you whether you like it or not. <laughs> and so... You also, you listen to a lot of music, like James was saying, when we're back at Berkeley, we're listening to an album as homework 
or or just considering like our own casual listening as like information absorbing and stuff and we're just like taking in what we like and don't like and leaning into that as much as we can and and then when we have to you know make guitar tabs for you guys to buy or for eric and i to learn how to play this music again um because we're so close to it that's when we have to you know figure out exactly how to call it what it is but it's just got a groove and that's that's the good point thank you sam that's all is that like time signatures and a lot of things like that only matter when you're trying to write it down when you're only trying to communicate it to someone else when you get to the engraving stage you know like people love to argue on the internet and be like oh is this seven eight or seven four or six eight or three four it's like well like, yeah have you matter. gone outside today <laughs> like if everyone in your band if all your performers are feeling it and they're playing it together it doesn't matter it's just when you're coming down to to engrave it that you need to make yeah i get those questions all the time because of my channel which is like the total yeah. like nerdy side of like explaining this stuff. But people would be like, what is this? Is this five or six? And I was like, well, you could, it could be like a multiple different things, but like, how are you feeling? Like, you know, can you count it? You know, that's the main thing. Um, mm-hmm. Or being in a band doing this kind of music, I've done it before where like multiple musicians might be feeling it a different way. So if you have a click, you're like, what, how do we do the click? And you're like, well, I'm feeling it like this. And someone else is like, no, I want it to be like straight quarter notes. So I don't know. Every, everyone kind of, I think a lot of times will feel these sort of things differently. Have you guys dealt with yeah, James hates my clicks. Have you dealt with that? Oh, it yeah, sounds like you've dealt with the that. Worst. Then. Yeah, clicks are the worst, dude. Yeah, the absolute worst. <laughs> I blame half of it on Pro Tools being super oh, ornery, dude, but so bad. Oh, what's man. wrong? What's I, wrong honestly, with like, <laughs> you don't like right. when the part goes. Oh, yeah. No. So, yeah. All right. I'm learning a lot about myself. But so I, I, there is something about the because because there's two things I don't like about Sam's clicks is one he uh, Sam made the, them. the sound the no actually we'll do that second he he doesn't subdivide every eighth note in like eighth note okay. things so if it's like one two three four five six seven one two three four five he'll do like the one three five and then the seven will be an, an eighth mm-hmm. note so it's he's hitting the quarter notes and then the one eighth note right I I need. I need all the things. I need all the, give me all the eighth notes. I want all that information. Uh, Sam doesn't do that, which I understand that from a guitar player's perspective, but like, no, I don't want that. It's a half and and half, but yeah. Secondly, uh, the sound he uses, he uses that like, uh, it's the woodblock number two or something. It's called, it's called marimba accent and (laughs) marimba, marimba two. And it is the best. It's horrible. (laughs) Because I, uh, and I actually learned this about myself is, uh, or maybe I'm making, maybe this is all placebo, but uh, I play so much better when it's just the stock Pro Tools, like digital blip one. Like I don't know what it is, but that click is like God, because it's so like, it doesn't sound, the problem I have with the marimba one is it sounds too much like something that could actually be in a song like it sounds like a melodic thing where it's like the pro tools one is like that's such a gross sound there's no way that would ever be in any so it's easier to like pick out and that's why i like it well you literally described like how i like we approach music differently like you're so focused on the first of all the pulse being in the right place and second of all the sound being disparate from the music that it's actually in i think this is one of my like biggest problems as a musician to be honest and like probably why guitarists are (laughs) richard's like what is he gonna say ready um (laughs) yeah uh, is like um but like you know the the common joke or whatever in the scene is like oh we'll have the guitarist mix it right like uh so what i where i think that stems from is like guitarists and and like tone hunters and and people who are into that stuff like we're so focused on how it sounds the entire time almost like from the moment it's coming out of your fingers and like into your ears like you're you're adjusting how you're fretting or like uh, tweaking the tone on your amp or whatnot or how loud it is in the mix like all that stuff is important to you at the moment when you would think as a player you should be just focused on playing the right notes and, and nothing else and as a mixer and producer i'm still listening well what am i trying to say i'm I'm mixing and like taking in all this information as i'm playing so i'm almost not focused as much uh on the playing as i as i should be i'm almost immediately in like an endless loop turning into a a listener a consumer of music as i'm playing so it almost distracts me from the fact so the fact that james said that like my 
click kind of blends in with the with the song a bit more i would say for me it's one of the only clicks that i can actually hear above everything else because of the frequency or whatever but like that's not here or there the point being it sits into the song so that i can actually not be distracted by the fact that i'm like keeping time i'm one of those i'm sure there's many others out there people that are like I get a bit anxious when they see the red light turn on and start recording and playing. And the less you can feel like you're kind of under the microscope. I know James thrives on that and we're, we're built different in that way, which is cool. But the less I can feel like I'm being like, yeah, under the put under the microscope with the, in that sense, like I I'll perform better and get something that feels worthwhile. But yeah, <laughs> you should try the digital one. See how it goes. I, I did. And I, I, I will, I will sooner leave this earth than, <laughs> <laughs> but again our weird pulses are about just the pulse like how i'm feeling that section like i'm not trying to go through every you know five or seven or whatever nerdy number you want to say feeling this da, 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 like all the time sometimes i do like this like if that's the groove that we're trying to feel like like it's like a clave or something right there's some word for whatever that is um like that those are grooves that we're trying to get like if they're odd times especially like people to, to vibe with and that's why we put them in the songs because there is a, a vibe to it if it is not just you could you could do just you should reach a compromise so you have all the eighth notes you just yeah. accent the ones that you want and then and then you got both oh no that's, that's worse. worse for you that's worse all right yeah. yeah we use my sound every other click yeah we go yeah we solved it but i, Marriage but are, I think you are right about the different metronome sounds because i i've found in live situations a couple of times i've I've done like really technical music live that everyone in the band really needed like a super spiky, really annoying metronome to stay on, on track. Um, Cause like once everything gets loud and crazy, you start to like lose where you are. Um, we used to use a rim shot for shows really? way back in the day. Oh yeah. Like a yeah, snare. So rim that sounds terrible. You, uh, fair, I always thought no. it was helpful because no. oh, it was it. like, it sounded like it was part of the no. thing and it was anyway, like super, was super, so, super, so much sort of super bright, like clave or something that's just going to like stick out. But yeah. I, I do agree that what's the longest that you've spent talking about metronomes on your podcast. Before? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, if, if you watch, I have run like the nerdiest channel that exists on YouTube. Yeah. So, <laughs> So probably multiple times. Uh. I will say though that I, I to to loop this back around, and then we can move on. To, to no, we're gonna talk about metronomes for another half an hour. I don't know. Right. Yeah, until it clicks. Oh. I got two more oh. thoughts. All right, I'm done. Oh. That's That's right. All right, there we go. Yeah. Um. No, I my other thing too is like I just for some reason I also I think this is like a total drummer thing, but I. I'm also to the point where I don't hear the click until I, unless I like want to, or like if I'm audibly like off time. That's true. Um, so I, I guess that's like why I also need something that's not, um, that doesn't sound good. Right. Because I, I almost want it to be like the, I want it to be like the sound when you, when you mess up on guitar hero, like that, that egregious, like, string noise like i wanted i wanted to be like oh you played off the eighth note beep, beep, beep. like and you, you want know. it to say you suck yeah i want like <laughs> i want instant punishment so that's why someone could probably that's why i choose the most unpleasant sound is my click track so we need to get you a screen next to your drums and then just triggered by your drums so when you make a mistake it'll tell you <laughs> not just a shot collar that'll do it shot collar will do yeah i've <laughs> I've heard there was like um there's some Nashville guys who are like touring drummers. They actually have some sort of thing that will tell them when their snare hits are like off, like not right on the beat, and they'll actually watch it and like try to be like completely right oh, on. That sounds depressing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I I use the, the the watch one. Okay. If you're like the one that, that like sounds around. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. That's all the only other like weird click track thing. All right, enough. On, that'll, that'll feed into playing live. You enough know? on Just tune it enough out on when you need drums. it. Uh, so <laughs> along those same lines, though, do you have any plans to tour? We we'd love to have plans to tour. It's is the okay. short answer. Do you want? To, I guess maybe. Do you want to tour? Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. It it feeds into like in my opinion everything every decision lately we've been making with the band is is feeding into the fact that we want to perform this music live for as many people as possible. So 
whether that's like how we're releasing it through the the waterfalling of the singles we did five music videos that's i think crazy. it's bear, bears repeating that even though drums were tracked back in march of 21 uh we started producing our, our videos for the, for the album release at the start of 2022 so uh months of planning going into that and just kind of doing most everything ourselves uh assisted by our, our great friend brian cray uh great photographer on tour with monuments as well right now um and like bringing all that production stuff home because we have good ideas, but not the biggest budget. So trying to figure out how to minimize cost, but still make something super high quality. And it takes a lot of time, but all of that, again, focused on releasing singles with some time in between to try and get an audience uh, to come along with us for the ride and be there for, for the album release that just went over pretty well. And we're, we're, you know, not trying to stop promoting it anytime soon uh, because we want to, you know, book a, book a tour or, uh, uh, any anything in that space as as soon as possible to be honest um we're probably looking at early next year for uh any any sort of tour support but we're in, in talks with various folks we have lots of friends in the industry james has played with many different bands i'm sure i would waste the rest of the time of this interview listing them all um again like richard being a a, a recording artist for a lot of different artists as well adam being a top liner for a lot of people warner playing with lots of bands and eric doing a similar session work like everybody sort of has their hands in a lot of different things and we're, we're just like trying to make the best product possible so like we look the most attractive to be honest <laughs> to any of these like acts that want to take us on and uh yeah like pull our weight and, and do something special for the people who really want to see us because they're because they're out there and I mean, touring touring is so difficult these days and such a money pit too so i'm sure whatever you do you want to make sure that you're not going to like be 30 grand in the hole or something when you come out of it yeah or when you start oh, yeah yeah before you even leave yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah right so that that's cool if you guys ever make it over to seattle come let me know <laughs> i'll show you around yeah we, we we've heard that a, a couple of times actually yeah. i'm sure you and we, we played West Coast. We didn't make it up okay. to Washington State last time we were in West Coast. We did. I think the, the most north we got was L.A., I think, really, honestly. LA yeah, like L.A. proper. A lot yeah. Of, yeah, there's quite a few tours that don't make it up. That, dude, that trip, that, I've done that. That drive just sucks because it's like once you're in California, it's like you got to go to L.A. And then the next reasonable Portland. place to play is is is, is – is Portland, but if or if you want to go straight up, you got to go to SF, and that's eight hours, and then. You oh, okay. It's a it's a it's, like, a it's a big drive from some yeah. San Francisco up to Portland or Seattle. You know, twelve hours. Sort yeah. Of thing. Seattle, dude, Seattle, uh, yeah, like like we were saying earlier, like I played Showbox twice this year, and like Seattle's cool. Yeah, a, a lot of a lot of tours don't make it up here, which is kind of annoying, but. <laughs> Uh, and I, I don't be closer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very nice up here. I'd recommend coming and checking it out. I guess along with the touring thing, and what do you think are some of the biggest challenges of being in a band in 2023 that you've come across? Richard, what's the worst thing that's happened to you? What's the worst thing I've ever done? What's the, what's the worst thing you've ever done? That was it. I was so close. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, uh, I mean, I would say. Oh, was I interrupting you, Richard? No, no, please. They're, make, they're making okay. it up. I would say it's. Oh, sorry, was I interrupting? <laughs> I would say it's more. more Let me interrupt like... you. Let me stop you right there. <laughs> uh, this. I would say, yeah, this. Um, I would say it's it's definitely more along the lines of like. There's there's so much stuff that you have to do, aside from actually writing the music, that like especially for like a person who went to music school and like, I literally, I don't know how to do anything other than play drums. It's very hard for me to like kind of, I don't know if come to terms with that is the right way to describe it, but just like to realize it's like something like you kind of have to like extinguish your pride a little bit and be like, Oh, I'm a, I went to music school, you know? So this might be a little bit of an isolated uh, statement, but, but I think just kind of like the realization of, of just like, there's more to it than just, creating good music now it's like that's almost like the one thing you have to do that's obvious and there's all the other stuff that you have to do like like we haven't done our daily social posts yet yeah, today and that's TikToks. giving me anxiety for no reason yeah right like tiktoks and instagram and like youtube and then just like you know i mean thank god we have sam in this band to like 
make music videos because I, I would have no idea where to start if we didn't have someone like that in this band. Like I would be, I would be you petrified. Have to, you have to so pay for like, it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With money as opposed to emotional yeah. damage. So. <laughs> the trade, which is usually both. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, no, but so it's like, you know, there's just so much other stuff that goes into it. And then it's also, it's like, you know, it, it's 2023 and if you're starting a band you're also not making money from the band so then you have to juggle that with like whatever your other jobs are and if you're a musician it's like okay you have to go play music to fund your music and then it it becomes a challenge of like you know the creative well is only so full so then when you get to the stuff you want to do it's like damn dude i just i already played for like eight hours there's there's nothing i have nothing left to give you know like you think Um, of the creative fomo of just like being a human being on social media in general and then just add being a musician to that where like we weren't used to we musicians weren't used to like back in the days of the beatles like seeing how sick a tour was over in like new zealand or something like or like how big that queen or van halen show was They, they would just you would have to be there or you missed it so there's there's that aspect but like you're inundated with all of this stuff that you, and this is the word I use all the time, should be doing. And you feel as if you're missing all these different opportunities. So as, as excited, this is a bit of a me thing as a James said, like we each have our own sort of quirks and opinions on this, but like one of my favorite quotes from a guitar teacher uh, from, from Berkeley, this guy, John Finn, who's an awesome guy. Uh, he constantly told me to uh, don't should on yourself. <laughs> because like there's enough time he also said uh get the tour figure it out later and like we're still trying to work on that like get the tour first then figure out what you're going to do with it but like the the social media aspect and like being a a brand more than a band is like something we're still coming to terms with and like it's not all doom and gloom like we we're, we're sounding like oh like if anyone's watched the i think it's the social dilemma one of those netflix documentaries about how like what social media is doing to our, our brains and stuff and there's a lot of parallels there with how it feels to be a musician nowadays but i i'm excited about a lot of it because social media is social like it, it's a double-edged sword it can be exhausting if you choose to absorb the information that way but as long as we're like we hear comments all the time or read comments rather uh on our discords on our youtube videos on our uh instagram uh and it's overwhelmingly positive like we we're very lucky to be one of those bands that doesn't have a following that are just people like hey this is this is cool or like dope or like fire emoji it'll be like this song changed my life is like the overwhelming consensus on a lot of (laughs) comments so like even in that we get a bit inundated because we see that so much and it it reinforces what we're trying to do but like yeah, that's the main thing for me is like, like James said, being a social media brand as well as a musician in this landscape now is is exhausting to say the least, but it's it's exciting when it when it feels good. Yeah, there's there's total trade offs trade offs to that. Like, you know, I think people think when you're going to be a musician, it's like you just go learn how to play music and like get as good as you can at your craft. But I wish that, especially when I was in school, that someone would have taught me like the business side of things. That someone would have you know, told me how to promote myself or, you know, do all these other things. Cause I didn't think, uh, yeah, I mean, people don't understand how being a self producing musician of now, how much, how many different things you have to do. It's like, you're not just, I'm not just playing guitar. It's like, I'm a video editor and I'm, you know, a, a mixing engineer and I'm producing things and all these things that I never thought I'd have to do at all that I never prepared for. There you go. He's Sorry, just pulling out my uh, my music ah. business uh, See, and management he knows what he's doing. degree. <laughs> Yo, that's a fake degree, man. They never gave me the real one. <laughs> because I have an actual real one that says music production. <laughs> they reprinted it, and I play that card anytime I can. Dude, man. Yeah, and the so. But it's the same thing. The social yeah. media thing is is great because obviously technology is awesome. We can do this kind of thing. Talk to someone across the other side of the country. But at the same time, you know, you turn on Instagram, you're just seeing like all the best players in the world all the time. And it's just like makes you feel like total crap. Like I can't even like play the guitar, you know, (laughs) or like a song you're working on could be awesome and totally good enough for and you see somebody doing some like what's that guy Ichika or whatever who does like the super tappy like technical stuff Mm -hmm. like 
oh, all of a sudden my guitar part isn't good enough because it doesn't have enough notes. All right, I'm going to go check. And we'll, we'll make these decisions. I'm sure we all make these like micro decisions based on like, I can't use this chord because it was in this other song. What? What? That, that has no basis in reality and like of the reality of what you're working on right there. So it's like most important for me to like be on a call or like having as much FaceTime with these guys as possible when I'm working on something. Cause when I'm left to my own devices, like all of those voices come out and they're, they're louder than, than any positive voice I have in the back of my head telling me that this is all worth it. And this is supposed to be fun at the end of the day. Like I have to like take a dose of reality every once in a while that like I have a roof over my head. I have like five other guys that want to actually be under one name, making this kind of thing happen at the same time. So anyone struggling with that, just like, <laughs> Find your yeah. people. I think 90% of being a musician is just like crippling self-doubt all the time. Oh, of course. And it doesn't no, it go away. away. It actually gets worse yeah. the better you get. That's something that I found. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. When, that's that's know, the reward. When you're like a cocky 18-year-old, you're like, I'm the best. And, you know, there's nothing I need to learn. And then as you get older, you're like, oh, I'm so terrible at everything. <laughs> I never thought I was the best. Well, so that's go. a different kind of that's, crippling that's, pro self. that's probably a better place to be in. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the worst person in this band by far. Is my instrument? No, you guys are all amazing. Don't incorrect, but thank you. Well, Richard's Richard's number one. We're all tied for mm. second. That's fair. <laughs> he has it. a harpsichord in his room. That's why he's number one. No, sorry. You know, yeah. yeah he's credited one. on the album with piano, harpsichord, Rhodes, and Wurlitzer. So he's got a and strings and strings. I'm gonna like that. Uh, yeah. Hey, hey, hey! I didn't get my I didn't get my Rhodes correct. That's true. Record. James played, yeah. But that it one note, do I... road. it better say road. Was... Not road. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> Get my road Singular credits. road. He played one oh. note. So yeah, perfect. Well, thank you for chatting with me, guys. Where where can people find you, support you, all that kind of stuff? Sweet, we have a website. New York. New York. So just go. Yeah. Sorry, Sam, you got James. It. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, come find us. Uh, we finally What's have a website. Triple uh, W dot. Aviation, yes. Uh, I'll, Social I'll give you guys the numbers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Aviation's band is like our at for everything. So YouTube, uh, Instagram, TikTok should be all Aviation's band. Uh, our website as well, www.aviationsband.com. Um, we have pre-orders still, considered pre-orders for our album because we have some physical stuff coming, which we're, we're super proud of. We're trying to make it as like high quality as possible, it being our first like vinyl pressing, for example. Uh, producer packs and guitar tabs and if anyone's interested and especially this audience and breaking down our music once you get a handle of it uh, can download those immediately uh, CDs and all the usual stuff t-shirts and, and other fun merch things we're gonna be updating that soon with with more items and more things throughout the year and yeah that's gonna be the spot Instagram I would say is the place we're most active on right now we're also doing a lot of twitch streaming also at aviation's band but I think it's like was it twitch.tv slash aviations band? You'll, you'll find us if you uh, head to our website and uh, yeah, use Sam's that aviations doing, band. Yeah, like, weekly, weekly unpacking of a song, like open up the stems. I did see that. It's very cool. Taking people through them. So, yeah. Cool. Which I'm sure will be relevant for this, but we're doing another right. one tomorrow. If anyone's listening right. right now. I don't <laughs> think I'm going to get this out tomorrow. But... <laughs> I don't think that's how that works. Yeah. It's Thursdays, though. Thursdays, okay. Whenever yeah, Thursdays, yeah. Thursdays at <laughs> 5 p.m. Eastern for the... <laughs> Not tomorrow. Uh, will be the spot. Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Any, yeah, it's a good time. Come any, through. Anything else? To, for me to get. Hug your mom. Hug your mom. Well, my mom lives in Alaska, yeah. but the next time I see her, I'll give her a hug. Wow. Oh, hell yeah. I grew up in Alaska. Nice. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so so you guys were in 30 Days of Night? I, yeah. I wrote a... Did you ever, uh, do you have any friends that participated in the Iditarod? I didn't have any personal friends that did, but I knew people whose, like, parents did or did. the. They did the Iron oh, Dog, so which is, sick. that's the, the snowmobiling one, where they do the same route, yeah, but yeah, on, yeah. on the snow machines. Yeah. I just want to play with sled that's dogs. Awesome. That's so sick. My grandpa lived yeah. in a small, tiny town in the north northern part of Alaska for a while. He was a missionary. And he would take his sled dog from town to town, like his sled dog team. That was the only way to get around yes. back then. So. Dude, that's so yeah. sick. How times. many times did you watch Balto when you were growing up? Uh, once, maybe? <laughs> oh, no, I, 
<laughs> people people get this idea. People get a weird idea about Alaska. I mean, I lived in like basically in the suburbs, basically <laughs> had a normal house and TVs. Yeah, but still, and it was just cold. Know, pride in the state, you know. Wait, outside of the Alaska connection, isn't that like on your like list of like top films of all time? Yeah, Balto. It's amazing. Yeah, Balto's taxidermy corpse is in the Cleveland Museum of Natural History. You it's a great story. Take a pilgrimage to pay respects. Yeah. I love that like the medicine was like glowing when it was on the sled. Like it was like it was so magical. I love that the bear didn't have pupils when he uh, when he attacked them. That was like the freakiest looking bear I've ever seen. Had great orange, orange blue contrast in that scene too. It was really, really I, 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 I hit a nerve by saying I only watched Balto once. I, I should have said that I hate it and I never watched it. <laughs> okay. oh, 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 oh. We'd watch it right incredible. now. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll make my yeah. I'll my children watch Balto here at some point. So Right. Thank you. Follow up. Appreciate with it. Let us All right, know I'll, I'll like let it. you know. Yeah. All right, thanks, guys. <laughs> anyway, yeah, thank, thank you. Me. Thanks so much. Yeah.